Good afternoon, I'm Ben Worski, and welcome back to I Know What You're Thinking. Let's talk about things that make us uncomfortable. You go first. Ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, interesting. You get that uncomfortable with the corned beef Reuben meal from Arby? The marbled rye with corned beef, Swiss cheese, and the tangy sauerkraut and Thousand Island dressing just freaks you out? Interesting, interesting. I'll write that down. What makes me uncomfortable, you ask? Oh, you don't want to hear about that, do you? Oh, fine, fine. Let me tell you. One time, I was in Paris with my family, casual flex, and something you should know about how my family travels is from what I've deduced through conversation, we don't travel like normal families do. Sitting by the beach and overeating? Couldn't be us. Staying in traditional hotels and doing touristy things? Who needs to sleep? I've always joked that I think my parents don't understand that the purpose of vacation is to relax, and so instead we will spend 7 to 10 days going approximately 100 miles an hour and doing anything and everything. Many families will eat 12 meals a day during vacation. We go for a mid-afternoon snack and maybe a dinner. And if a tour or activity is popular, we don't want it. I'll give my mom credit. She plans some awesome vacations. But it is funny because when we show up and instead of a very touristy trap-like places where there's a fancy bus and happy tourists smiling on the sides, it looks like we just parked in someone's driveway or in a back alley somewhere where seemingly no tourists should be around. We'll walk in and do whatever activity and it turns out to be great, usually. This brings me back to Paris. I can't remember how long we had been there at this point, but I do know that during our time, someone in my family, and I'm going to continue to blame my mom because A, I do think it was her, and B, she's an easy scapegoat for this sort of thing, wanted to take a sewer tour. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ben, what does a sewer tour consist of, and why would your mother want to do something like that? Right. Good question. And you'd think that one of the adults in our crew, I call a family, would have had similar doubts. In fact, we even tried to go to the entrance of this sewer tour two separate times, but it was closed both times. Should have taken that as a sign. Giving up isn't in our nature, or at least in the nature of our captain of adventure, also known as my mother. As the saying goes, the third time was the charm, but the tour was anything but charming. We bought our tickets, walked down a spiral staircase to underneath the left bank, and boom, we were in the sewers. I really had no expectations of the tour at this time. I remember thinking it was kind of weird, but figured there could be a cool exhibit or something to look at. Nope. It was a self-guided tour where the things to look at were just hanging from the ceiling. You could see sewer maintenance equipment, mannequins of sewer workers, or huge wooden balls that were, or maybe still are, used to clean the tunnels underneath the city all set to the tune of raw sewage running beneath the grates underneath your feet. It, in fact, is worse than it sounds, and I cannot emphasize how unpleasant the smell was. I'd liken it to an Arby's, but that'd be a disservice to the sewers. Kidding. Of that experience, one thing I did enjoy was the fact that no tour could be complete without a gift shop, and fear not, a gift shop they did have, complete with a stuffed rat for sale, one of which my cousin now has. A stuffed rat, not a real one. Well. A stuff wrap from this sewer tour, at least. Outside of that, I cannot confirm or deny. With that being said, I'd like to welcome you to episode six of I Know What You're Thinking. As people, we crave comfort. It's just built into everything we do. Our homes, our transportation, our food is all built around this idea to keep us comfortable. This isn't necessarily true of my car, a 2012 Mazda 3 Zoom Zoom, but newer cars have so many cool new accessories to keep users happy and coming back. You know what 
piece or a place of society doesn't seem to care about this at all. And as the main point of discussion for today's show, airports, specifically airplanes and their seating, I want to talk today and figure out if my audience thinks that leaning your seat back on an airplane is rude. I recognize that it obviously depends and there's many factors that need to be taken into consideration, but I'll try and be as comprehensive as I can. I'm choosing basically to ignore everything that happens in the airport up until the time that you board your plane, because if I were to sit and gripe about all the things that are wrong or annoying about the current system, I'd certainly be here for a lot longer than anyone would want me to be. So instead, we will focus in right on after you've boarded the plane. The first thing people consider when booking a plane outside of the airline and the price itself is where they want to sit. Choosing where to sit has a lot of importance on how your in-flight experience may go. If you choose a window seat near the back of the plane, for example, you may have an opportunity to look out the window, but by the time that the beverage and food cart gets to you, they might have run out of snacks. Particularly if you have a dietary restriction. My poor uncle had this happen to him where he was trying to do a nice thing by switching seats with, I believe it was my sister, so that she wouldn't have to be in the back of the plane by herself. But by doing so, by the time the food and beverage cart came to him, all of the vegetarian options were eaten. Needless to say, he was displeased when we departed. When you think about even the ability to offer in-flight meals, much less variety of meals that they provide, it's amazing. Cooking 30,000 feet up in the air, it would have seemed impossible if you told people hundreds of years ago, or really even in 1937. 1937 was the first year that airplane kitchens had countertop prep spaces with interlocking thermoses for coffee and tea, but airplanes still had no way to serve any warm food while traveling through the skies. But at least customers could be served coffee and tea for their journeys. By 1958, the then luxury leader Pan Am made a name for itself by being the first aircraft to carry five-minute ovens, which offered hot comfort food, not just traditional sandwiches, although those five-minute ovens were basically glorified oven toasters. As wide-body aircrafts were entering the mainstream, where more and more passengers were being cramped together and now what we accept as commonplace, airline service trolleys began to pop up and roll up and down the aisles to efficiently and quickly deliver food to their passengers. All this to say, that's why you don't do good deeds for your family. Sometimes it pays off, but is it worth your vegetarian options being taken away and you having to sit by the bathroom? That's tough. But let's say you don't have to sit by the bathroom. Which seat, assuming a traditional window middle aisle seat, are you picking? Do you want to sit against the window where you won't have other people climbing past you when you're trying to scarf down that one always too dry cookie while eyeing your one remaining ice cube in your cup, asking it to melt faster so you can drink it? But at the same time, you'll have to climb over others in order to get to the aisle and to the bathroom? The aisle seats allow for people with longer legs to stretch them in the aisle, but you do run into the hazard of getting bumped into by their passengers or the aforementioned trolley cart. If you pick the middle seat, given those two other options, I have nothing more to say to you. If you did pick the aisle seat, would you agree that whoever has the window seat has complete control over whether the window is open or shut? I certainly would. Which is why I personally am a big proponent of the window seats. Not only do you get to lean your wary head up against the window, but you can also gaze out of the clouds, city, mountains, or whatever views you have. But this isn't about views, it's about comfort. And really, it's about whether you're a kind person or not. Or if you're just someone who wants to watch the world burn. Seats leaning back are a part of their nature. And yes, I hear the argument that just because a seat can lean back means that you should lean back in it. I'd consider it similar to having bare feet on an airplane or having your hair spill out over the screen of the person behind you or maybe eating hard-boiled eggs on the plane. That last one actually may get you tossed out by the other passengers, but the first two are probably technically legal. You just can't be doing that. 
be better, and be aware of the people around you who want to travel as inconspicuously to their next destination as you do. If you thought those examples were bad or you cringed at the thought of someone eating hard-boiled eggs on an airplane, I'd like to introduce you to an account called Passenger Shaming, which is 1.3 million followers on Instagram of just some horrid behaviors on flights. It's at Passenger Shaming. I would recommend a follow if you'd like to be thankful for those poor passengers on some of these flights not being you. They also sell some cool merch, so you may see me rocking a stop standing up when the plane lands hoodie for my next flight. Because seriously, what are you doing? The plane lands, you stand up, you have you stand half crouched underneath where your baggage is for like 15 minutes while the flight crew gets the plane ready to land. While meanwhile, I'm sitting down, hanging out in my window seat, unreclined, having a great time. Stop doing that. Be better. Anyways. In 1985, a nonprofit group called the Consumers Union began monitoring the changes in the distance between seats on an airplane, commonly referred to as seat pitch. Seat pitch is used to measure the distance from one headrest to the next. Three decades ago, Southwest had the largest seat pitch by offering as much as 35 inches between the seats, while United offered 36 inches in the most generous sections of its economy cabin. Today, not a single one of the airlines offer economy seating that has more than a 33-inch seat pitch. Delta, United, Southwest all offer around 31 inches per seat, while Frontier drops to 28, JetBlue offers 32, 33, Air Canada comes in around 33, Virgin America has 32, Hawaii Airlines has 32, and Emirates has 33 and 34. So with our seat space declining, our only option is to recline, right? Well, not quite, as there are both no recline seats and fixed shell economy seats that recline by sliding forward within their own shell. The problem is, with these type of seats, the legroom becomes reduced even further, and airlines have found noticeable decreases in fuel efficiency by using these heavier seats. They also are more expensive, which would bring airline prices up, which nobody wants. This is a very hot button issue, and I think could use some resolution sooner rather than later, because over a span of nine days in late August 2014, three different flights were diverted because of seat reclining, let's call them dust-ups. One of those involved a 60-year-old passenger, Edmund Alexander, who became so upset with a woman who reclined her seat in front of him that he had to be subdued by two federal air marshals and taken to a hospital to be treated for high blood pressure. That same week, on a United flight, two passengers got into a scuffle involving a piece of technology called the Knee Defender, which is made to, quote, stop reclining seats on airplanes so you won't have to. The device looks like little clips that you would put arms on the, the tray table after you put it flat. I don't know how this device was created or even allowed to operate for so long because I feel like as soon as you use this, it's causing a fight, one, one way or another. The situation, quote, escalated into a farcus involving flight attendants, water thrown in someone's face, and a hasty, unscheduled stop into Chicago to toss both passengers off the flight. Both passengers faced potential FAA fines, and United even came out and stated passengers were not allowed to prevent fellow passengers from reclining in their seats if they so choose. This statement is actually funny considering the 2017 incident, which also involved the Chicago airport. Of course, I'm talking about when one passenger was asked to leave the flight after the plane was overbooked. Another topic for another time, perhaps, on the fact that airplanes basically consistently overbook their seats, and then passengers are the ones who have to be inconvenienced. But this passenger declined and was violently removed from the flight. A video of this went viral and United came under heavy fire, which was only made worse when the CEO, Oscar Munoz, came out and thanked the United staff for following established procedures and referring to the passenger, Dr. Dow, as disruptive and belligerent. Just wild times. Airlines keep track of this stuff, which is not surprising, but it is interesting to know. According to a spokesperson from American Airlines, 
They keep their own no-fly manifest that is different from that of the government, usually compiled of passengers who have disrupted or caused flights to go astray. I think for good reason. The spokesperson for American Airlines says, when we handle cases of disruptive passengers, one option is denying future travel. I know it's been in the news very often, but we fly a ton of people. This is a non-issue most of the time. But did Edmund Alexander, our 60-year-old passenger, get added to the list? Something we'll never know. I guess he may have ended his chances of flying, but he may have a point. Well, I don't think I'd resort to screaming, kicking, or grabbing the attendant, I definitely wouldn't be happy if someone reclined into my lap. However, regardless of how angry I was, I wouldn't be as nearly as angry as the man on an Icelandic air flight on New Year's Eve in 2013, who was so belligerently drunk on the flight after, quote, drinking all of the liquor on board that he began hitting, screaming, and spitting on other passengers. So what did the crew do? The only thing they could. They restrained him by duct taping him to his seat until he landed and was taken to jail. So just not a good look for that guy. What do I think about all of this in general? I don't want there to be any confusion. I think that reclining on an airplane is rude and inconsiderate for those around you. However, it is difficult to keep that train of thought when the seat in front of you reclines into your lap and your only option is to also recline and therefore inconvenience the person behind you. A Travelocity poll found that one third of those polled recline in their seats frequently or all of the time. I'd wonder if the people who recline more often are people who travel a lot for work or maybe people who never get to travel. If I were a business person who flew for work two to three times a week, surely I'd recognize the inconvenience I cause and the chain reactions they may start if I begin to lean my seat back. Versus if I fly maybe once a year, maybe this is my first time ever, I'd have no idea about the perils that I'm about to put myself through or the person behind me by leaning my seat back. Maybe a way to solve this problem besides simply making all the seats stationary, which honestly I personally would be in favor for, would be to have people indicate when they purchase their ticket whether they are an upright flyer or a leaner. Then they could put all of those with a preference to have someone leaned into their lap in one section and all others who prefer as much space as they can or with as much space to work without fear of someone leaning back and rendering your workspace unusable in another. I think that'd be a great compromise for both the leaners and the upright sitters. Some final things to consider before leaning your seat back. I certainly don't think it should be hard to look behind you and make a quick judgment call that the person behind you can use a little less space. If it's a child whose feet can't touch the ground, I think that's acceptable, although I still think the act of leaning is rude. And if you look behind you and it's Shaquille O'Neal, I think you probably want to, one, get his autograph because that's cool you're flying in front of Shaquille O'Neal, two, ask him what he's doing in the business class considering he probably owns several jets, and three, you probably want to keep your seat upright. If food is being served and consumed, don't even think about leaning your seat back. If you lean back and my sludge of chicken beef fish falls on the ground, maybe I would need to be duct taped to my seat. But if this is a red-eye flight and everyone's sleeping, why not just take the window seat and lean your head on that? I find it equally as comfortable, especially if you have a pillow. If you're a frequent traveler, you've probably worked out some system in your head, but there are even apps and tools that let passengers know what seats are the prize and which are the ones you should avoid. One of the most popular ones is called Seat Guru, which allows you to view a seat map for your aircraft and read reviews of each individual seat. The seats are color-coded from green, meaning this is a good seat, to yellow, which means I've had mixed reviews, to red, which is avoid. And just a random fact I wanted to throw in here, for those who are curious, is that the Airbus A380, I believe, is the largest super jumbo jet in the world, and it can hold up to 853 passengers. That's just so many people. And such a far cry from the original air travel of hot air balloons that the original wealthy people, or the old money wealthy people, had to use. 
Now, I know some of you have strong opinions on this topic because I've talked to you about it nicely and sometimes not so nicely. But if you think I didn't do you when your incorrect leaning stance justice, let me know at the Benzone on all social platforms. Our review this week comes from my mom, Benzone Mom, on iTunes. Very clever mom, but thank you for the support. Rating this show one star seems a little bit harsh, and your review shaming me for my use of a nightlight until I was 16? I don't know about that. I'm joking, obviously. What even is a nightlight? I, I certainly wouldn't know. Couldn't be me. Anyways, this review says, quote, Love the random but interesting facts, as well as the humor and humble attitude. Look forward to more. Thank you for your kind words, Benzone Mom. Much appreciated. Do you want to be featured next episode or in a future episode, maybe not next episode, depending on how many reviews we get on the show? Leave a review. Go to iTunes. Go to your favorite podcasting app. If Actually, I guess it could only be the iTunes app. And leave a review. Rate of five stars or whatever stars you think I deserve. Spotify is being weird right now. Um, the RSS feeds just for some reason aren't transferring over as I thought they would. So if this doesn't go up on Spotify or you don't get notified that this is up on Spotify quick enough, just want to make a pitch to move to iTunes and check it out there. That is going to do it for today's episode of I Know What You're Thinking. I'm Ben Wartsky, and I will talk to you next time.